I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. I want to welcome John Baines. He is the founder and managing partner of Insight Partners, LLC, a management consulting firm based in the metro Cincinnati area, serving uh, regional and global manufacturers in the area of strategic planning, sales development strategies, and workforce automation uh, consulting. He is a Vistage Master Chair, leading six peer advisory groups representing over 60 companies in the Cincinnati metro area, serving their CEOs, key executives, and emerging leaders. He also serves on the advisory board of several privately owned companies. John, welcome to Leaders and Legacies. That's great. So that's really interesting, you know, a great background. You know, first off, we have some people are listening that probably don't know what Vistage is. And so before we just jump in and assume everybody knows what Vistage is, how would you describe Vistage? Well, it's not unusual to not know what Vistage is. It's hard to believe when there's something like 30,000 members globally, but there it's still a sort of unknown commodity. Vistage is a peer group. It started as a CEO peer group and evolved into different layers of leadership within an organization. And most Vistage groups are, I would say, roughly 14, 16 people. They meet once a month, hosted by a member, and facilitated by someone like myself as a chair. We bring speakers in from outside, you know, from national um, sources, so really high-impact speakers who deliver very engaged workshops. But the magic of Vistage is really the peer interaction. Um, certainly, it's Many people know this looks a round table. That's not what it is. It's actually deeper than that. The members are bringing the content, they're bringing their issues and opportunities. And then I facilitate a discussion around that using our issue processing model. So it's mostly about questions. As you can imagine, CEOs are trained to deliver answers. So they're very eager to solve problems. But oftentimes we solve the wrong problems. We don't really understand what the root problem is. So going, spending three quarters of your time asking clarifying questions and really good open questions, not leading questions, help the person whose issue it is that they're trying to process, helps them uncover what really is the issue. And yeah, I've let, seen, go ahead. Yeah, no, let me jump in there because you said something that was really key. You begin with questions. I mean, have, have you had people in your life that come up and you say one thing and then they have a fix. They have a solution for something that you said in 20 seconds. And you're sitting there thinking, you don't even understand what you're talking about. Right. I mean, how's that feel well, when, when somebody does that to you? 
I, I, well, we talk about the three levels of listening. That first level is distracted and it's very selfish. You know, if you ask me a question, I'm turning that into how does this impact me and how do I want to either give you a, give you an answer or tell you about my example of how that happened to me in my past life. So for you as the person looking for help, uh, you know, you're going to feel kind of alone in that, in that sort of interaction. It's almost transactional. So getting that next level where you're actually getting good questions, understand what the problem is, that's wonderful. But even better is when people listen and can sense emotion, sense what's not being said, and then ask questions that help the person looking for that hear the same question for themselves. It's incredibly impactful. And oftentimes, the person who is asking the question or seeking the help is the one who knows the best solution. They just can't see it. Yeah. Well, and just so everybody knows, I'm in Vestige. I've been in Vestige five or six years now. Okay. And the the process you're talking about, I, I've found to be a very powerful process. Uh, but occasionally I see it break. And 100% of the time, when it breaks, it's when people start offering solutions. They deviate from the process and they start mm -hmm. offering solutions. Can you walk us through that process you know, what is it and why are the individual elements there? Because I think I think it's something valuable, whether you're in Vestige or not. I think this is something that people could put to work and add value to anything they do. I totally agree. And by the way, I was a member of Vestige before. And we didn't really follow this process of the way it's set up. So when I went to chair training to learn how to be a chair, I was sitting next to a former member. He was from Canada becoming a chair in Canada. And we looked at each other saying, did you do this with your group? And he's like, no, but this is so powerful. And it's powerful because it's simple. So the elements are very simple. There's sort of an introductory. The question when you're asking for help is always framed in how do I, you know, whatever that is, very, very short, very sweet. And the how do I is important because it's the me that's in the room. It's not, how does my team, how do, how do we, how do I get, you know, how does this guy get better? Those people are not in the room. So we can't help that person. So it has to be an individual, a personal first person question. And then we ask, why is this important? And you know, what's the significance behind this? So what is the cost? What is the what is the cost of not doing it? You know, something like that. And then finally we ask, what have you already done? So if we know what you already attempted to do. We're not going to sort of ask questions about that, or maybe we'll understand why hasn't that delivered results, but we don't want to repeat what you've already done. Sort of gets this accelerated through. And then I will occasionally ask, you know, what are you looking for from the group? Most times people obviously just want help, they want an answer, but sometimes that question reveals further insights. So that, those four questions, those three to four questions, normally take about three minutes. Four minutes. It's not a long time. We don't need a lot of background to be able to start helping. And then we get into clarifying questions. So now the members around the table are asking this person uh, how and what questions ideally, but seeking to understand more, trying to understand what this is really about. And as we go through that process, when the group does this well, the questions will kind of feed on each other. The answer will reveal something that we didn't expect the person to say. So we'll ask kind of a follow-up question to that and go a little bit deeper. 
And then as we get to this point where I feel as the chair that we've sort of answered all the questions, uh, I'll stop that, that section and I'll ask the person to restate their how do I, if they think they have, you know, is the question they're still asking the group the same question? Or has it evolved or has it transformed? How often times, do you see how often do you see that the question they realize that they were asking the wrong question originally? And that after this process, they realize they really have a different question. Almost always there's a change in the question. And most times it's a refinement of that question. So it's just a little bit clearer or really directed at the right source of the of the issue or source of the solution. But I have also seen transformations. So I remember one time uh, the person was talking about an underperforming executive on their team. And it was about how do I get this guy to do their job well? You know, so we're, we're going through this and through the questions, a lot of emotion, a lot of vulnerability was in the room. And when he was asked to restate his question, uh, his, his restatement was something about how do I accept my relationship with my father? Totally different. And what we realized was, or what he realized was, the the executive was underperforming was underperforming because of his leadership style, because of how he was kind of smothering him and being unrealistic and poorly communicating, and that dated back to, you know, something deep seated in him. So it just changed how we move forward with that. I would also say, as members, we also tend to hear what we think the how do I question should be. So a member can also suggest what the how do I should be. But then ultimately there might be a couple listed on the board. The person will pick one. And then from there we move into suggestions. And those suggestions, maybe your five, 10 minutes, very short, very, very straightforward, things that are actionable in the next 30 to 60 days. And we ask the member as the very final thing, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it by and who's going to know? So, so that whole process takes like 45 minutes on a, on a on a quality issue. So we start off with the person that has an issue they're trying to work. They start with a question, how do I do X? And then, then they answer, you know, here's what I've done so far. Then clarifying questions, then verifying that they got the right question, that we're asking the right question or answering the right question. Mm-hmm. And only then suggestions, followed by right. a framework for execution and accountability. Right. So the suggestion part of that 45 minutes is maybe 10. It's under 10 typically. So you're spending the majority of time asking questions. You know, I've often described Vestige as a board of directors that can't fire you. And and it's you know, I think, you know, we were talking earlier in the green room, we were talking about how a lot of CEOs, a lot of business leaders feel alone. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're in a position where for whatever reason, there's a limited number of people that they can talk to and bounce off ideas. Uh, maybe there's something that would be inappropriate for them to talk to their employees about. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, it's, you know, something else. Maybe they're just trying to they're in the early stages. And I think what you're describing is an environment where you can go in and it does have what I would say is the true purpose of a board of directors. People experience people that can advise you 
and help you make better decisions and help you work through issues uh, with the added benefit, they can't fire you. Well, I, you can fire a member. Um, I mean, if you're not behaving to the culture and the core values of the group, we, we can hold you accountable for that. But you're right. That's um, I, I think what people don't realize in leadership is, you know, most of the books that we read are about these great individuals. There's sort of a cult of personality around the person and they have this godlike wisdom. So that's our expectation of what great leadership is. And that's really hard to do in a vacuum. Yeah. And what you talked about, like as leaders, most of our issues are either people, time, or money. And the people we tend to have the most challenges with are those on our team, trying to get them to be the best versions of themselves, be themselves. So if you're struggling on how to find the right solution for that, you really can't talk to your leadership team about that because that's an individual issue. And if you were to pair with someone on that team and talk about that person and do you see this, that's very harmful to team accountability and performance. So you, you just can't go there. And if you have a board, you don't really want to talk to your board about some of these challenges because you don't want to appear inept or you know incompetent. You need to display like you're you're in charge, like you know, let me let me leave me alone so I can do the right things that I believe are the right things. So you're, you're left in between this no man's land of how do I do this? So by being around other CEOs or other like peers, depending on your group, what you realize is we're all in this situation. And even though this person may work for a construction company, this person may work for consumer insights, this person may work uh, advanced manufacturing, it doesn't really matter what you do with the business. These challenges are universal. But we see that we have that and by embracing vulnerability, it helps us understand what is it that we're really incapable of doing and why are we incapable of doing that? Because at the end of the day, I don't really feel like the suggestions the members bring are the things that really move that person forward. It's what the member hears from the questions and their answers that has unlocked the solution that's really impactful for them. You know, I can say that's 100% true when, when I'm working with clients the biggest changes that we get are based off the questions we ask them and the, the answers they come up with themselves. Yeah. That's if you really want to see somebody's behavior change, don't tell them what to do. Ask the right questions. Right. If, if they, if you're going to tell them what to do, chances are they've already sort of thought about that. So why aren't they doing that? Because they haven't personalized it. They haven't embraced it. When you ask questions and they're answering them, you're imprinting their brain with what those answers are. So it's made it theirs. It's made it personal. And if you've ever led people through change, forcing people through it is never a great method. So in a room full of CEOs who are really smart people, really successful people, uh, getting them to embrace it is pretty important. Yeah. There's a, a friend of mine, uh, an author, a guy named Roy H. Williams here in Austin, wrote a book called Pendulum that talks about how we go through 80-year cycles. Uh, there's a book that preceded his called The Fourth Turning, but Roy took a different uh, approach on that. And 
you know, he talks about how we move through 40 years of a me cycle followed by 40 years of a we cycle. Huh. And I'm going to connect this to what you were saying about authenticity. You know, I'm reading Lee Iacocca's autobiography. And obviously he was a powerful and dynamic leader. But as I'm reading the book, I'm like, Lee, did you ever make a mistake? You're listing all the mistakes everybody else made, but you seem to be perfect. How did you accomplish that? Yeah. And but he was an executive at the apex of the me cycle, which is the celebration of the leader, the godlike status of the leader. And we're in a different phase now. We're in a phase of vulnerability. You said vulnerability. What does today's leader look like from from your perspective? Wow, that's a really great question. I'm not sure I have a an equally great answer, but what I will say is it has to be authentic, first of all. If the person cannot be themselves and be a leader, that is an exhausting exercise. So you have to be able to be as much of yourself as you're capable of sharing. And if you can also then embrace vulnerability and embrace the things you are afraid of sharing, that makes you even more powerful as a leader in today's society. Um, when you're talking about, you know, I'm Gen X, my parents are, are, uh, are boomers. There was this, I, this notion of authority and status that sort of directed and there were rules to follow. And we sort of accepted that even if we were rebellious against it, uh, you know, deep down, we sort of accepted that when you're getting into newer generations, everything is questioned and it's okay. I think that's actually perfectly fine. If the answer is around purpose and the why behind what we're doing, there's something that we can rally around. Then I think we can talk about the sort of lanes and, and limits to asking questions and challenging that authority. So you have to be able to let people in and see who you are. And that's why, like in my Vistage groups, yes, it's a business organization, but I really talk about that we are working on us be really uh, high quality leaders. Okay. Well, uh, let, let me ask you about a white knuckled moment, a time where you feel like your leadership was put to the test. You were confronted with something. It was scary. And you saw that there were potential consequences to whatever choice you made. What was mm -hmm. that and how did it work out? Okay. So I have a number from which of these to choose a lot of battle scars. Um, I, I became president at 29. I had managed one person. So I did not walk into leadership with any notion of, I knew what I was doing. Um, uh, I was definitely practicing the fake it until you make it and learning outside the business as much as I could in order to keep pace with what I needed to do in the business. But I would say that the one that had the most impact on me was, uh, this was probably around 2012, 2013. What got me to my position in life was saying yes. If someone offered me something to do, I would say yes. Uh, I'm a sort of natural helper, but I'm also very curious and interested in like, like change. So I had said yes to lots of things in my life, uh, not knowing how this was possibly going to work out. But in the end, it did. And I learned a lot and it might have been really hard, but it always served me well. It always moved me forward. But back in around, you know, 2015, let's call it, 
I had said yes to too many things in the business. We had said yes to a number of complicated projects. And what I realized was in hindsight, we had taken on too much risk. And I had only evaluated those, those risks individually. So the team that we had was really good, but their bandwidth, like any team, was limited. So on this one project, I knew we would figure out the solution and be able to, to solve that problem. So my background is capital equipment automation. Every project we do is like a prototype. We've never made one of these things before. We'll probably never make another one of those again. So we are selling something we've never built and we're not totally sure it's going to work, but we have to fix private, we have to fix schedule it and deliver it and meet customer expectations. So we said yes to three different projects that were pretty different, um, all large scale, and the risks were different in those three projects, but they were overlapping uh, to some degree, not intentionally, um, but they ended up overlapping. And that caused us to be really strained financially. Uh, we were a high performing company up until that point. This just really knocked us down. Uh, I would say it questioned my fellow owners. It made them question my leadership ability. And, you know, the team was just exhausted and people, there was a lot more turnover. It was super challenging. So I was in Vistage at the time and I was bringing different issues to the table. We got out of that. I did some analysis and saw that we weren't broken. So I looked kind of pulled back and let go of my emotions, let go of the moment and try to be more analytical. And I saw that every other project we had done outside those three projects was exactly in sort of the profitability and the success factor we had prior to that and even better. But it just that weight of those projects were so big. So in the end, and this was right when we were, we'd sold to private equity and, and at the parent company in Germany, there was a lot of questions about, you know, what are we capable of as a, as an organization, should we even be doing these kinds of projects? Lots of hard questions. And, you know, in the end, we needed to transform who we were as a company. And we had to go back. And that was super hard for me. I am not someone who likes to go back. I am a look forward growth sort of person. But I understood like that was the right thing to do. I, I modeled what we could look like moving forward in a sort of smaller version of ourselves in order to now grow more sustainably. And in my Vistage group, they just pushed back and said, you are killing yourself. You're fighting really hard. You're, there's no joy anymore in what you're talking about. And they told me I needed to leave. And that was incredibly hard to hear. One, because it sort of challenged my ability to solve a problem. And that's not who I am. I will say yes and solve any problem. But also it was my identity. I mean, my company, I grew up from, I was employee 11. We were 120 at our peak. It was sort of like my first child and my identity, 100%. So just have someone tell you, like, you need to not be who you are and, you know, get divorced and let go of your child. I was not willing to accept that, but after a few months, a few meetings, uh, and being very vulnerable with them, I realized that they were looking up for me and it was the right decision. So after presenting the solution to the board and my fellow owners and saying, here's who we need to be, I said, I'm, but I don't think I'm the person to do that. So 
And I think you're, I think maybe you're ready for me not to be the person to do that either. So I ended up quitting and I had no plan as to what to do next. Again, not who I am in life. So extremely challenging, but absolutely the right thing to do. And it certainly took some mourning and some grieving about my leadership abilities. But as such, I think having done that and now being an executive coach, being a Vistage chair, working as an advisor to other companies, I am so much, my, my leadership abilities are so much stronger than they were because I realized I could see the cost of things differently and, and how to make stronger choices. So looking back, that was probably one of the darkest moments in my life. But at this moment in time, I just, I'm so grateful to having gone through that because it's put me in this position to have so much more impact than I was having running that business. You know, now I'm working with 40 different companies uh, from, from the CEO to their first time managers. And I can just see the, in, like the personal impact that I'm having through those individuals. And I know the multiplier effect that they are now having in their businesses. I think that's, I can't be more grateful about that. You know, one of the themes of this show is about making an impact beyond yourself. And what I love about that story was you had to be willing to let go of your identity. You had to be willing to let go of your pride and give up the thing that probably felt most valuable, most meaningful to you. But by uh -huh. doing that, you've, I, from what I'm hearing, you've been able to greatly multiply the impact you've had on others compared to what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, it, it sometimes it's difficult because it, in a, when you're running a company, the levers are all right there for you to, for to pull. When you are a coach, when you're facilitating a peer group, that your arm's length distance is, makes it feel like you're not having the same level of impact. But I've learned to understand that that's the level of control that I had as CEO was really an illusion. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't really have control. And in fact, the more I tried to grab it, the more I was the bottleneck of everything. And if I were embracing the things I'm doing today, back when I was the CEO, like really embracing it, we never would have been in that situation and we would have been growing sustainably at that same rate with great leadership. I mean, the right people were there. I was just preventing them from being a great team um, because I had been the team in the beginning and we, they didn't know how to how to step up and I wasn't leaving them room. And when we tried that, it was right in the middle when that mess was happening. So yeah, I, I see now that I can do more and have more of an impact. And even when I'm not the one doing it, like when I see the, the, the peer group really gelling and really being tight with each other and asking great questions without me needing to sort of redirect them or like you said keeping them in the the process wow i mean isn't that exactly what we should do like you talked about with your history um you know being physically incapable of running the company and the team stepping up you just you just like that's the perfect example of creating the right environment for others to be successful without you having to be the one making it happen. You made it happen. And that's what I feel like I'm trying to do as well um, on a constant basis. And, and I can tell you, and 
And to this day, I get choked up when I think about that. Um, it is the fact that the team, and, we're, and it was two years ago, right now, I was in mm. a coma. The fact that the team ran the business without me is, I consider, my biggest accomplishment in business. Yeah. John, this has been wonderful. You've, you've shared a framework uh, for solving problems that focuses on questions, understanding, you know, deeply understanding before sharing advice. Um, you've talked about, you know, leadership, the importance of vulnerability and the importance of not hanging too tightly onto your identity and, and leadership being seeking the good of the company and, and how that's really, um, I believe from what I'm listening to you, you've impacted far more lives after making that decision than you were at the time. Um, so this has been really good. How can people reach you? Well, they can either reach me via my really bad website, which I'm in the process of fixing. Uh, I didn't spend any money on that when I went down this path. And now I'm realizing that my website and who I am don't tell the same story anymore. But it's uh, insightpartners.us is my website. My full content information is on there. Insight Partners is where you reach him. He is the type of leader that we really want to celebrate. And that's uh, the type of people that we're trying to celebrate on Leaders and Legacies. Um, and one of the things he told me in the green room before he, um, before we started was that whether or not it's his Vistage group, because Vistage is very regional, Vistage is all over the place. If you're not in Cincinnati, he'd love to see you in a Vistage group, not because that benefits him, but because that benefits you. And that is the trait of a leader. And so, sorry, I think we we had an internet connection with John. Unfortunately, he had to drop off. But I want to thank John for being on Leaders and Legacies. Uh, John, as you're listening out there, thank you. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.